Ladies and gentlemen, live from coast to coast, we proudly present For Your Infilmation with Zach and John. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the For Your Inflammation podcast. I'm your host, Zach. And I'm John. And I am the bees? The bees! The bees! Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! Not even in the theatrical cut. Why? I don't even know. All right, let's just dive into it. This is From Christopher Lee to the Bees, Part 2, where we'll be covering the 2006 remake of The Wicker Man. This movie is the most true and the most hyper-realistic theatrical rendition of Cindy Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Um, I'd have to agree with that in that I, there's, I suppose there's supposed to be a feminist message in here somewhere, but I can't find it. I think if that song came to life, this would be the end product. Um, I think there's a lot more murder and ritualism in there. Well, see, that's where people mess everything up. You know, like, on paper, socialism's great. In practice, you get Cindy Lauper sacrificing people to the bees. Or, you know, Linda Blair's mom from uh, The Exorcist. That works, too. I think this movie, before we even get too far into the basic information, I think Nicolas Cage, like, the head of his penis is the same head that's on his shoulders. Like, his face is on it. So you think it's like, um, like maybe more circular and like comes out of his body. So maybe like if Nicolas Cage's face was on Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah, like that, but a penis. So does it still have penis qualities or does oh, it? So is his nose the head? No, no, it's not like the whole dick nose thing. It's like the shaft is his body, his face, and it's like he's wearing a hat, and the hat is the head of the penis. Okay, so Nicolas Cage's face, but take his hair off and put the head of the penis on the top of his head. Okay, I got it. I visualized it. Let's go. Yes. Okay, so uh, The Wicker Man, 2006. It's both a remake of the 1973 version and a reimagining of the novel Ritual. Which the first movie was also based on. Yes, exactly. Uh, directed by Neil Labute and starring Nicolas Cage uh, as Edward Malice, uh, Kate Bayham as Willow Woodard, and Ellen Burstyn as Sister Summers Isle. Summers Isle, not Summer Isle, Summers Isle. Because, and I read this, they decided to call it Summers Isle because they thought Summer Isle would be too hard for Americans to pronounce. You know what? Summer Isle. Summer Isle. Yes, that is something that I read as well, where that is one of the biggest, like, criticisms of this movie by, like, professional critics and people in general, is that it seems to be catered to a more simple audience, and specifically a more Americanized audience. And But even then, it's like, are we that stupid? I think it would be akin to maybe taking an American cinema classic, like Star Wars A New Hope, and, like, making it a British thing, where you have, like... I don't know, Mike Myers playing uh, Darth Vader. Uh, I mean, yeah, I suppose you're right. In lieu of Nick Cage playing uh, Edward Malice, which was, of course, uh, Sergeant Howie from the original. Yeah, so the way they got his name was Edward was the name of the guy from the original. That was the actor's name. And then Malice to combine man and phallus. Again, the Nick Cage penis theory holds up. And if I can't 
persuade you to turn away from this movie after hearing that. I don't know what the fuck else I can do for you. I think you're lost cause. You know what else, though? That's not the only weird thing about the names in this movie. Or just the names of the characters, and I guess the island, too. But Kate Bam's character, Willow Woodard. Woodard? Woodward? Woodard. Yeah. Willow Woodard. She plays a different character completely than the Willow in the original, but also goes by the name Sister Willow, as a lot of the people on the island do. There are other ones. Sister Rose, okay, she's like the school teacher. Rose is like a plausible first name, because Willow Woodard, her first name's Willow, so she's Sister Willow. Sister Rose, her first name's Rose. There's a Sister Beach. Is her first name Beach? I suppose so. I mean, people name their kids after things they see, so uh, maybe if the dad really hadn't thought about a name and the kid was born, it's like, uh, Beach. Did you yeah. just call our daughter a bitch? No, Beach. You know, that's what I was thinking. Because, like, oh, there are so many things that you could do with that. Like, um, I, I don't know, Beach something, Beach Craft, like that Drake Bell album. Oh, Beach Craft. Bitch Craft. Yeah, Bitch Craft. I think I just messed up the word Beach and Bitch in your vocabulary permanently. You know what, man? It was bound to happen at some point, I guess, with stuff like this going on. Um... So it's generally a poor critical reception, right? Um, to say the least. Yeah, I think we scored a a rock and three point seven out of ten on IMDb and a fifteen uh, percent on Rotten Tomatoes for this guy. Yeah, not the worst reviewed film ever, but definitely up there. A lot of people watch this movie because it was funny. Like the like, just some of Nick Cage's reactions are so funny in this movie oh absolutely the, the editing is absolutely atrocious i counted at least four times that nicholas cage was supposed to react to something happening to him and it's delayed by at least five seconds huh interesting and we're not talking about the anaphylactic shock from all the bee stings no 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 I'm talking more about in the scene where uh, he sees Rowan underneath the dock and then he swims underneath it and then like I guess he wakes up or whatever and she's in his arms and he looks at her for a good five seconds and then goes, oh, <laughs> and I was I think that was the point where I just kind of stopped paying attention just because I was like. Fuck this movie, I'm done. It took you that long. Okay, so I have to admit, the the opening to the movie, I liked. I liked that, you know, it gave a little bit more background as to who this person was before they got on the island, as opposed to the original where we start on his first day in the island. But I think that was the thing about the original that I liked, now that I think about it, because you got to know his character by him showing you who he is, not just by the movie being like, this man's a police officer. Bah, bah, bah. He ate a salad for lunch. Bah, bah, bah. He watched a girl burn in a car. Bah, bah, bah. Now he's sad. Yeah, it's kind of the, like we were saying earlier, the, the hyper dumbing down of the movie, the Americanization to make it a little bit more explanatory so people don't have to think as hard. And I think maybe the use of papyrus font was a further uh, vie for attention from the masses. Yeah. Well, it's it was meant to look like the same font that was used in the original movie which i don't know why they didn't just go with chiller font for this movie because i feel like this is a very chiller font movie hit it with joker man you have a 40 million dollar budget and you picked papyrus hey man they didn't want to go times new roman that's a little too that's a little too um not on the edge enough i guess like that's my main problem with this movie it wants to be on the edge so bad it wants to be a bad boy so bad but then it just like never goes anywhere 
it's got no teeth. And that is a criticism that I had of the movie as well. You look at like the 70s version and like, yes, there's some aggressive activity. And yes, there's a lot of tension in the acting. Yes, there's a lot of boobies. And there's a lot of stuff going forth that really sell the story. This movie is aggressive in a cringy kind of way. Uh, doesn't sell the story very well. And has absolutely no boobies. And if you're going to do a movie about an island full of pagan women... There better be a few boobies. That is anti-feminist, and I won't stand for it. However, no. I did miss the boobies. Body freedom. Body freedom. Look, Free man, the if, nipple. if I owned a private island in Washington State, which sounds like a libertarian paradise, by the way, I am for sure going nips out 24-7. And anybody on my island better be going nips out 24-7. So just nipples on your island are not going to be, I guess, scrutinized? I can't think of the word I'm trying to use. I, I'm trying to just picture this island that Looks. you're going to own. Some it's... islands have bees. Some islands have nipples. Okay, but both have Jimmy Buffett, correct? Well, there's a seaplane, and that's as Jimmy Buffett as I need to have. Okay, fair enough. I'll take it. Okay, so let's roll into the movie breakdown. Uh, so uh, the intro... Uh, you noted a couple times already that you like the lead-up. You think that the character explanation found in the first part of the movie is good? Oh, no, dear God, no. I just, it was the only interesting thing that happened. Interesting. Um, I I find that, like, despite the fact that they say that this movie takes place in the West Coast, or and it starts in California, this has fewer California vibes than the 70s UK version does. I felt like I was more so in a Beach Boys town in that one than I was in this one. Yeah, well, it, I think I think that's just the whole dark, gritty reboot that happened in the mid uh, 2000s. He's literally in Modesto. It, oh, I agree. I didn't say they were correct. I just said what I said. They wanted to make it like this dark, gritty thing. So like the entire movie is dark and not very well lit because that's what we do because we're from the 2000s. You know what? I just uh, Power Man 5000 and Slipknot and um, this crazy oh, town just like going crazy somewhere else in California. And this guy's running around throwing his motorcycle helmet at a burning car. Yeah. To save a little girl that he does no, he no longer sees. Also, did we ever get any explanation on that? About like, what the, the girl? Car, yeah, like no, the people that he saw because they never found them. But the car definitely burned up. So. Yeah, they they pull out the Donnie Darko and they just leave it up to the interpretation of the viewers to whether or not it actually happened or not. But he's got mad PTSD from something, and I'm pretty sure the car burned one way or another. But. How did they project themselves into where he was? It doesn't make any sense. Ritual magic? Um, they got Stevie Nicks on the phone and was like, hey, what can you do for me? And she sprinkled some witch no dust magic. and charged some crystals and made it happen? I don't care how many goddamn crystals you have. How do you aperiate into a burning car? That's and a also really throw crappy a doll place out of the car. Teleport the to. little girl threw the doll out of the car, and you're telling me that shit wasn't real either? Because he definitely had the doll later was this all in his imagination fuck you movie beat your kids don't beat up your kids beat your kids with the doll they're throwing out of the car you just throw that shit right back in there and make a loud noise it doesn't even have to be intelligible get back in the car and start driving they will shut up if i ever if i ever threw a doll outside of my car at a police officer I'd be dead. Yes. I'd be dead. My dad would not have let me live. So I'm thinking this movie came out in 2006. Um, maybe we're getting off base here, but 
I would, uh, we, we were what, like 11, 12 years old at the time. That's not outside the realm of possibility. Just being a dumb kid and throwing something out the window on the highway. Yeah, my parents would have beat my ass. Oh, yeah. Even if it had been something from the dollar store. Even if it was like one of those little parachute airmen. Like something you would throw out of a car. My dad still would have kicked my ass for that. So why, the, why this uh, ghost mom was just putting up with it? I don't know. Maybe because she's a fucking ghost or something. Can we move on? I'm done. Yes, we absolutely have to move on. So uh, he gets his support from his friends at the police station. Uh, they're very supportive, suggesting that it was, in fact, a real thing that happened that gave him the PTSD, which is like a major theme throughout the story. Uh, he gets a letter from Willow, who's like a long-lost lover, uh, saying that her daughter's missing and he's got to come up. He's got to help her. Uh, this is where he starts posing as a private investigator. And I don't know how that works in reverse, because if you're a private investigator pretending to be an actual police officer, that is not legal at all. But but if you're like a real police officer and just say you're a private investigator, how illegal is that? Okay, so he's doing it for a personal matter. So I guess your argument is, can someone who makes pizzas for a living make a pizza at home? I didn't think about it that way. And my mind is open. Yeah, so that I didn't really have a problem with. Whatever, it gets him on the island. That's where we need him. Right, where he can go and meet up with all these other hairy primates since just like Endor. Like everybody there is like horny and trying to appease the gods and sacrifice people. They are Ewoks. This is Endor. Um, I don't remember Ewoks being horny. And I don't know which... Um, Return of the Jedi you watched, but I want to watch it now. I'm just going to call back the Ewok Adventures reference from a couple episodes ago and say you clearly have not seen Ewok Adventures again. I find me a copy. I'm not paying for it. One day we're going to review that movie and it will be glorious. Oh, and we have to do the Christmas special too. Oh, that's true. That's true. All right, so he gets to the island. Uh, he flies there on a plane. Again, he's not flying at this time, but whatever. You know, the guy comes back, the guy goes. Uh, they realize very quickly what's happened. They know that he is there. I mean, I say they realize it like they didn't know it the entire damn time, but it, bear with me here. So shows up. They know immediately what's going on. They start fucking with him right off the bat. He's not having any of it. Um, he goes to the bar. He starts talking to people and like meeting the people of the town. He drinks some mead. And let me tell you, I have never been more disappointed in a cocktail that I have made at a specific time than I have with this movie review. So if I would have known how many fucking bees were in this movie and how he actually drinks mead at least one time in this movie, I would have saved that cocktail. I would have saved it for this movie. But you didn't. No, I guess I didn't. And I'm just going to have to let it go. There's so many more cocktails and so many more Nicolas Cage meltdowns. Oh, and there's a plenty in this one. I, I think this is like the gold standard. I could agree. This is, in fact, the gold standard for Nicolas Cage meltdown. Um, as he goes around meeting people in the, the island or from the island in the town, um, I'm noticing that there's not a lot of Hollywood faces here. Like most of the people in this movie look pretty normal. Which is cool. It's a nice touch. It is. Like, they're all actors, but most of them aren't what you might consider A-listers, and they're not, like, supermodels. It's not like a like an aisle of Amazons where everybody's just, like, these crazy, otherworldly, gigantic, beautiful women. Like, everybody's pretty normal. Yeah, especially the, uh, the barkeep. She was especially homie. Ah, Sister Beach. Sister Bitch. Sister, sister Bitch. That sounds interesting. So... <laughs> Spinoff movie. <laughs> Sister bitch. <laughs> she moves to the big city and continues serving mead. Um, so, Sister bitch, too. Bitchin' in NYC. So, uh, 
he stays there for a little bit and he then begins his sweep of the island trying to figure out what happened to Rowan. He served honey, but it's not local. This is a call out to the last movie where they're talking about produce and eating food on the island. And like in the old movie, Sergeant Howie talks about how like I summer islands known for its produce. Why are you giving me canned peaches? Like what's up with that? I came here. I kind of want to get some of the local stuff. And they said that the crop failed. Okay. Well that's indicator number one. Because you're watching this movie and you know what happened already. When they say, oh yeah, it's not our honey, the crop failed, or they hint at the crop failing, you know what's happening immediately. And might I add, you have this whole island. You're telling me you can't grow something other than fucking honey? Like, is honey that important? Like, I I don't think people are paying an arm and a leg for, like, organic honey. Like, maybe $4 at the most. That's the thing, Zach, is that you don't realize what a crisis our bee populations are in right now oh no 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 i agree but why do they think it's the god's fault then literally our bees are in more peril than any human in any war zone on the face of the earth and if you don't believe it you hate the earth oh i mean bees are a major part of our ecosystem and if they go away we're fucked just like mother goddess will slay us they will sacrifice us to the wicker man or in the wicker man and we will all be dead and the bees will be thriving but if they're all is the goddess going to bring the bees back instead of us killing me won't bring back your goddamn bees killing me won't bring back your goddamn bees my legs so he's met up with Willow already. He's searching the town. He's looking for clues. And uh, he sees the photos in the bar. Another callback. He notices that last year's photo is not there. And that it was like broken or lost somehow. And like that's immediately picked up as like a, a not just a callback, but a clue for the story. If you were just watching this for the first time, first off, I'm sorry. If this is the first rendition of this movie that you saw. Godspeed. And then he makes his way to the school. So the school is an important part in the original, and it's a pretty important part in this one, except it's not nearly as fun this time around. It's way more serious, but like you said, it's like that special kind of mid-2000s serious that lacks teeth. Yeah, well, and I have an explanation for that, and we can get into that a little bit later as soon as we're done going through this fucking horrible thing. But this is what we might call Edward Cullen serious. This is, we're not going to be able to sell this to adults, so we have to make it PG-13. Yeah, pretty much. Um, The teacher is not nearly as agreeable. She kind of comes off as a little, like, I don't want to say snooty, but very, very critical. Uh, And granted, Nick Cage, or I I guess I should say Ed Malice, Ed's not doing himself any favors here. He's doing the same thing he did last time. He's flexing that badge. You know, he's enforcing the law in his mind, and they're not having any of it. But I just can't escape the feeling that she's got some mad armpit hair. She's got like a tumbler on her phone. She's charging her crystals outside, and she's just getting ready to bask in the summer solstice. Perhaps. I mean, maybe she's just not into playing with her food like the others are. Maybe so. Uh, Sister Rose seems like a weird one. There aren't a lot like her there. Again, with the rose and the willow and beach, uh, there's just a whole bunch of them. And like, that's cool. I feel like that is a good plot development where it really sells the cult part of the movie a little bit more. I guess. I think they just all sound like basic white girl names. Like, this is my daughter, Willow, and my other daughter, Rose. I named them after plants I like because they're pretty and I want them to be pretty. And that is why nature. I named them Willow and Rose. Living harmony. Like, that's what it sounds like nature. to me. 
Uh, yeah, very aggressive by comparison to the last one. I feel like in the last one, Sergeant Howie was more of the aggressor, and that kind of sold the story a little more. But in this one, there's a lot of pushback. There's a, yeah, I noticed that too. Is like the the pushback is not coming from him, but from the Islanders. But then he's also giving it back. But I also don't know if that's just because Nick Cage is an asshole. I mean, he's an actor. He's doing his job, I guess. But like, I guess maybe that's more of a criticism of the writing than anything else. True. Like. Uh... Like a lot of the things he said were just so trite. I, and, like, agree. I guess that's also a two thousandsism, but eh, oh well. Yeah. So the kids uh, deny him, and then they put like a bird in the desk instead of the beetle, and it has kind of a similar meaning, but maybe not quite does as it, much. Does it have the same meaning? Because I was like, oh, it like the, the beetle, like I mentioned in the first episode, had meaning. What does the bird mean? Like, uh, like, like it, why even have it in there if you're just gonna waste it? Like, it's it's a jump scare that didn't even work because the timing in this movie is non-existent. Like, there was no tension behind it, so it literally was just, oh, there's a bird there. This is truly just an answer to the age-old question of how is a raven-like writing desk, and it's a plot twist uh, that's inside of the writing desk. The raven is in there, inside the desk. I, I'm not going to be able to pee for three days because of what you just said. I, I don't want to know how that works, and um, we're going to move you... on now. <laughs> okay. So he's moving around the island, um, and you notice that there aren't really a lot of men around, and I mean, that's not really surprising, but you don't really know why yet, and I found that kind of strange while I was watching the first time. I don't feel like they do a really good job of explaining why there aren't a lot of men. You know, this movie's pretty good. There's lots of women's, there's Nicolas Cage, but uh, where's all the men's at? Where's Where all the men's at? The next scene that he goes to is the first graveyard scene, which is where Willow reveals the major plot point of Rowan actually being Ed's daughter. Which, why wouldn't you say that in the letter? I feel like that would get him there much faster. Right? Like, what if he just listened to his friend and thought, you know what, she's just being weird. If she wants me so bad, if she wants to talk to me so bad, she can call me. Or she can, I don't know, come visit if she needs me that bad. Which is what most people, I think, would do in 2006. Because, you know, uh, I don't know, P.O.D. was a thing. P.O.D.? Hmm, is this pre-P.O.D. or post-P.O.D.? Um, this in regards to what? Communication! Um, I guess this was around the juke? And the Razor era? Oh, I guess man. that's post-POD? What a the strange way era. to look at time, friend. You know what? It would make a lot more sense to somebody like us. So we, we could pinpoint when the Juke years were, and when the Razor years were, and when the POD years were much better than anybody else, I think. M maybe I'm wrong. M maybe there's some kind of, like, 2000s historian out there. Um, I mean... Th there is, but I don't think that they, um, the plight of P.O.D. is uh, necessarily their, their uh, thesis. Oh, of course. Whatever. All these revisionists just want to focus on Nickelback and Avril Lavigne. Nope. All Skillet. They just all want to focus on Skillet. All Skillet. <laughs> all the band Skillet. Oh, man. That's what this soundtrack to this movie is missing. Some fucking Skillet. Some Evanescence. No, just Skillet. To just skill it. All right. Just so skill. He gets like a like a reinvigorated search for Rowan after kind of being discouraged by the people of the town when he finds out that it's his own daughter. He just takes it at face value. 
that to me seems like a major plot hole because as far as he's concerned she left him for another guy that's what he's thought up to this point right so her just saying nope it's your daughter like that, that oh, just well, now, it's not, now it's personal like that's how that's how i took it which is very oh now that it's my daughter i have to find her Before, uh, yeah. i wasn't gonna find this bitch but now hell yeah i'm I, in you know what it may be between him and his PTSD-induced episodes and knowing who Rowan is or having a better idea of who Rowan is now. Maybe that makes it personal. Maybe he's trying to reclaim a part of himself through his act. We'll call it an accident. Through his accident is a part of this. But I think that's going out on the limb just a little bit. I, I think you're trying to give meaning to something that they thought five seconds about. You're probably right. So the doc scene. The doc scene is something you've brought up at once already where he goes out there looking for the plane, I guess, and he falls asleep. Yeah, and then he dreams, and it... Honestly, I got really lost watching this scene, because I was just like, what? what's happening? Why? Okay, so he was under the thing. Okay, I guess that was a dream. Also, who the fuck falls asleep on a dock? It wasn't like he was doing anything. Like, he was looking at the plane, and then I guess this dream happened. So did he just, like, fall down, like, asleep? Fall asleep on a park bench, surrounded I... by witches. Are they witches? Anyway. So, you're not fully realizing the Jimmy Buffett potential of falling asleep on a bench on a dock. Or, uh, on a dock. On the dock of the bay, where the witches play. I sleep. And that's yeah. the whole song. That's the whole song. That That's the Nick Cage song. So he, he sees her under the water. Again, he's having like a PTSD moment. He swims out to this plane where they've dismantled the radio. Okay, so this is again playing into one of the scenes from the original movie where he discovers the plane won't start because he is the pilot. Like he's not looking for the, the guy to fly him out anymore. So in this particular case, he absolutely is dependent on this guy. And now the radio is gone. So he knows to suspect foul play. And um, he does, I guess. I mean, it's pretty evident. And I don't think it really plays much into it other than he knows he probably isn't going to be able to leave. Or at least he reasonably should know that. Yeah, I mean, at this point, like, but it also begs the question, like, what did they, what happened to the pilot? Did they kill him too? So he goes to investigate the photo a little bit. Um, Dr. Moss, who he doesn't know is the island doctor, uh, shows up and so he's asking like hey are you the photographer and she's like well yeah but i do other things too which is an interesting introduction for a character like dr moss who by the way has the most metal medical practice of all time so many fetuses in so many jars dead fetus taking pictures dr moss anyway yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's also the first appearance of the beekeepers, which become an important part of this as we delve deeper into the lore and traditions of Summer's Isle. Yeah, going back to what you said, I just think it was so funny that she, he was like, so you're the photographer. Yeah, but I'm other stuff too. Like, okay, so when people come to me at my desk at the warehouse I work at and they go, hey, are you the customer service representative? <laughs> yeah, but I'm also a podcaster. Thanks for fucking asking. It's like, like that's uh, such a weird thing to do. Yeah, like, oh, uh, yeah, I am the photographer, but I also have a shitload of fetuses in my back room. Are you not going to ask about those? No one ever asks about the fetuses. They just want to see the fucking pictures. Well, here you go. Here's the picture. Here's the harvest festival. The real harvest is in the back, the if you know what I'm saying. Crops in the front, harvest in the back. 
That is an interesting way of looking at it, and I will not deliberate. Okay. So, um, introduced to the bee colonies after finding out about the photo and realizing the crop failed, he goes wandering around. I don't remember exactly what leads him there. There's a lot of holes in my memory for this, and I took a lot of fucking notes. Yeah, okay. Let, let, let me hear him. Well, uh, really, it's just that he goes to the bee colony, the, the bee farm, the... The hives? Uh, I don't know. The colonies. We'll call them bee colonies. He goes out there, I guess doesn't realize there's a bunch of bees, starts running around, gets stung by a bunch of bees, just starts falling down. Gets, uh, first off, he'd be dead as fuck. Second off, uh, yes. they found him there, they brought him back, and she's like, ooh, we healed you in the old way. Did they just blow him? <laughs> like, is well, that what got the it, adrenaline it looked, pumping? <laughs> like, it, it looked like there was like, um, like some sort of hole in his arm, so I guess maybe they use something to suck the poison out? I um, mean, what's wrong with the EpiPen? It's a phallic symbol. Don't they still like phallic symbols in this movie? Well, I think they did use the EpiPen because they use it again later. Yes. So, I, I think they did, and they're just trying to be weird. Which, at that point, why are you being weird? You've already found a man. Uh, you know who he is. You know why you brought him there. If you're so worried about being weird, why did you forecast this sacrifice 11 years in the future and bring him here just to burn him in the wicker man so he wakes up in uh lady summer's isle uh I, I guess um sister summer's isle wakes up in sister summer isle's house and of course uh, agreed by dr moss all that stuff i assume that this is the maybe a part of the climax of the movie or like near it i don't really know how the plot flows in this movie not well almost so, like a river that runs into a sewer beautiful poetry so <laughs> Sister Summer's Isle goes about describing all of the um, the traditions and the lore of where they're living, and it's actually kind of cool. Like, it would be kind of cool to live in that situation if it wasn't, you know, a bee cult. And um, it really is kind of a like a religious freedoms run amok type situation, I think. And I don't know if that's an intentional criticism, just like the original was sort of a criticism on religion in its own right. If this is kind of a criticism on freedom of religion and the dangers of having an unchecked religious freedom... Because, one, I don't know how I feel about that. And second off, I, I feel like that's a bit of a stretch for a movie like this. Like, do you think I really went that far into thinking about the writing? No. In the words of Quentin Tarantino, I reject your hypothesis. I reject that they even thought anything about this movie. Like, I, I'm trying to understand what they were trying to get at. And I thought at least the Sister Summer Isle scene would have enlightened me on something. No. Well, they, <laughs> Nothing they, other they than set up, they worship the bees. bees. They worship bees and they set up a society that mimics bee life. So they've got a queen bee. They're pulling a real lord moment. You know, they can call her queen bee. And they've got the worker bees. They're all female. And then they've got the drones. And as we go further in this movie, we see more of the men. And it's a very interesting dynamic of like human life and bee life kind of transfigured into each other and it's really kind of strange so uh sister summers isle gives ed permission to dig up the grave of rowan right uh R rowan woodard not rowan morrison he goes in digs the grave up there's the burned doll in there burned doll instead of the murdered hair in the original one which was at least a callback to something yeah and at first i kind of questioned whether or not this had like the same kind of legitimacy or like real world call out or callback kind of thing where like the hair and the Celtic mythology and like they've been referencing the hair the doll was kind of fresh except for the very beginning of the movie but I guess dolls kind of have their own place in uh like pagan lore don't they I guess so but I 
really and truly, when I saw the doll, all I heard in my head was, remember the beginning of the movie? It's been a while since then. Do you want a flashback? Okay. I literally just put it together in my head that the doll is burned and his memory is the doll and the burning. And so they put it together. And that's why he has a meltdown and just starts screaming, how did it get burned? 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 But Nikki, you saw it. You saw the car burn. You were there. He knows exactly how it got burned. You take the crazy pit. Nikki, you know. (laughs) You you know how the doll got burned. Uh, right. So clearly, if they put it in the grave and it is the doll or it's enough like the doll to where it's intended to be a sort of like uh, callback moment or cluing him into what's going on, it really does show that this is a premeditated act. Like the situation he's in is a setup and they would not have told him all of this stuff about the island if they intended him to live or leave. <sighs> But they don't intend for him to leave. Exactly. If they had any inkling of letting him live, they wouldn't have told him anything. None of this would be happening. And this is supposed to make that abundantly clear to him, but he does not realize it. And this is nothing new from the old one. It's a lot like it. But... The difference here is that in the original one, they were just trying to keep him off their scent. Because they knew he was onto them. And what a scent it was. This one, he's an idiot. You could have literally just murdered him the second he got there. He wouldn't have known any better. Well, they definitely threw a love interest in there, and I think that could be considered like a major Hollywood curveball, um, which is not something that we've seen an awful lot of in this movie so far. But it is kind of a... I don't want to say a lowball tactic to throw a love interest in a movie that doesn't need one, or even in any kind of narrative story that doesn't need one, but it does seem very Hollywood to me. It, it is very Hollywood, but it's also... Goodness, I'm sorry. It's super shallow. Like, the love interest... Like, how long did they date? Like, they were engaged. She still wears the ring that he gave her. But... She just ran off and didn't say anything? Like, where's the love story here? Like, he needs to know why. Like, she never gives him a reason why. It's very one-sided. And all of this just ends up having him locked in the crypt, which got my gears turning. And what would Nick Cage be like if he played the Crypt Keeper? I think that would have been a much better role for him. And you know what? Once I got to thinking about that, I also got to thinking about how Nick Cage could totally play in a remake of The Shining, but he's playing all of the roles of Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall. I, you've piqued my interest. Think about it. He's just she, she runs away. It's Nicolas Cage in a wig with a knife running down the hallway, locks himself in the bathroom, and then at just comes slamming through the door and nick cage starts going ah and then he starts smashing it he's like here's johnny and it's just nick cage on the other side of the door too this this sounds like a fever dream i i don't know who i am anymore <laughs> so you, you can't pee for three days so you don't know who you are anymore oh no it's a solid month now it's gonna be built up <laughs> i'm gonna be able to start my own river when when this is over disgusting absolutely disgusting anyway so he gets locked in the crypt presumably that's the time where they set up the wicker man or whatever it is and this is where the plot starts rolling a little faster now we're getting into like the pre-sacrifice stage of the movie i guess you could call it uh he starts searching the town looking for rowan or looking for any sign of rowan needs to know where she are needs to know that it's real needs to know that he's right i guess it's almost like a shot for shot callback to the original you got like the kids running around in the masks except instead of sergeant howie's just nicholas cage screaming 
take those masks off. And, you know, that's always fun. Just screaming at kids. He, what? Oh, yeah. The, the girl falls out of the wardrobe. That's, that's another shot for shot right there. There's quite a few of them, it seems. Yeah, except they replaced the naked lady in the tub with a lady covered in bees. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that scene. It's the closest thing to a booby we're going to get in this movie. Well, she was still fully clothed, just up to her neck and bees. I just, you know what? I want to go to that getaway spa. I want to be covered in fucking bees. I want to have honey coming out of my orifices. And I want to be at one with the mother goddess while my crystals charge on the windowsill. It's two years now. I won't be able to pee for two years. Thank you. <laughs> two, two years of not being. I don't know what that has to do with any of this, but I, I'm, I'm interested to know. I'm interested to get to the bottom of this no pee caper. So, it's uh, just kidney stones. He, he steals a bike. Um, he, This is that big, like, Sister Rose comes back into the picture, and this time he's not playing any games. He just grabs his gun and says, Step away from the bike! And that's like a huge meme, apparently. Like, you, you go to YouTube and just look up, like, a Wicker Man, like, meme or like a YouTube poop or something, you're going to get a ton of results and they are all going to be rehashings of that scene. Give me the bike! Step away from the bike! Oh my god. So he he's going ham. He's going absolutely ham. Uh, steals the bike. He's just a bike thief now, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know what happened to being the arm of the law. I don't know what happened to be a primary investigator. And he's just stealing bikes and nobody's phased by the fact that he's waving his gun around in their face and we'll get to why later. Yeah, I mean, because now it's personal. He's like, okay, well, fuck the law. I'm not going to solve this. I just want my daughter. Yeah. Yeah, which he still just believes just offhand that it's his daughter. I mean, maybe he was just taking a break from the mental trauma. Maybe this is a good distraction. The Rob, like, Grand Theft Bike? Hey, man, Grand Theft Bike is not even considered a, like, misdemeanor in Grand Theft Auto, so I don't see it as a crime. Uh, You know what, man? To each their own. You can steal as many bikes at gunpoint as you feel necessary to drive down to the docks and look at this corpse. In the riverbed. Oh, so that's just exactly continue. what I just, he did. <laughs> just want to be. I just want this to be over. So I, I thought it was funny, and I didn't even realize this until after the fact. But like, uh, it finds the pilot down there by the docks. It's low tide. It's his body's there. He's made to look like the Wicker Man. Like his face is stitched up in the same way that the wooden bars are set up in the Wicker Man's face. He's got those weird claw finger things stuck into his hands. They made a Wicker Man. They made another Wicker Man. So is this just like a like an energy generating thing, do you think, that they're doing here? Or like is this just another one of those like barely thought about it moments? I think this is just, hmm, what dolls can we sell at Hot Topic? Good point, good point. So he goes back up to the bar. Uh, I guess he ditches the bike at this point. He starts fighting people. He knocks some people out. Um, Just like straight up sidekick to the face into the wall. Uh, It's like a Hollywood action scene. Like, I don't even know if this is what you could consider a traditional Hollywood movie in any way. But like, there's a lot of Hollywood going on um, for whatever Mm -hmm. that means. Uh, He steals the costume. It's not the fool. It's the bear. And just, what does that bear costume smell like? Like, it's just a, it's like a bear pelt turned into a costume. It probably smells like bear shit. Just a bunch of ladies sweating in there year after year. It's like, you ever put on like a mascot costume? Well, that just smells like sweat and unrequited love. Like, that, that that's all the mascot costume smells like. Yeah, this is like that, but it's an actual bear skin. Well, maybe it smells like Klondike bars in there. We don't know. You, you know what? It, it might as well. It, it might as well. 
So they parade to the sacrifice, just like in the last one. They don't really do the whole like head chopping ceremony thing. They just get right to the chase and they're ready to sacrifice Rowan. She makes an appearance. He sees her. He immediately just takes off. No hesitation whatsoever. Uh, I guess that's kind of like the original, right? Mostly. He had a little more tact in the original. I could agree. And also I feel like Rowan did a better job selling it in the last one versus this one. Because this one, Rowan just runs around in the woods and then just leads him right back into them. Like, not even close. Like, she did it, like, on purpose. Like, with, like, a vindictive attitude. Fuck you, dad. Yeah, it's literally like like a punk rock thing that she's got going on. And I just, uh, it it's not as cinematic, I think. And it, no, it's not as heart wringing, even though he's, it, he believes that she's his daughter. And for all practical purposes, we should believe it too. It just doesn't feel as real. No, well, because it, it's like, this is the problem with the remake, is it, it thinks that you don't know what's going to happen. And I guess some people may not have known what was going to happen, but just being someone who knew what was going to happen already, I, I could have done with something maybe if they would have done it a little different. Like, this scene specifically. Like, I see what you mean. I, I don't know what they could have done differently, and I guess, so I shouldn't really complain about it, but it just seemed unnecessary. You know, this whole thing is unnecessary. Continue. I was gonna say, like, with this in particular, like, if you don't know how you can reimagine it, don't. It's a remake. Well, and I want to get into that, too. Well, let's 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 finish it. Let's finish this damn thing. The the plot thickens, question mark? Uh, So, the sacrifice scene. It's revealed that it was all set up. They basically just groomed him from day one to father the child and to be the sacrifice. And I can't help but think that they just had this guy on tap. Because think about it. The crop failed the year before. This kid is at least nine or ten years old. They planted this seed a decade ago. But they didn't know the crops were going to fail. So they just had this guy on tap if the situation arise, arose, whatever. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. And it's like it's not like he's a perfect sacrifice like he was in the original because it was like he was a virgin and he was of good virtue. Like, this guy's like, there's no virtue here, so what, what does he offer? Is he just literally a body to sacrifice? I, I guess so. I, I don't know if, like, again, maybe I'm reading a little too far into it, but as they go through the sacrifice, they, they're using the phrase, the drone must die. And I guess that means that they view him as a sort of drone. And I mean, in their little, like, beekeeper society or whatever, that makes a lot of sense, but they've already got drones. They didn't use one of those, they used this guy and then also to say that he's a drone is to say that he doesn't do anything other than be there for sex meat yeah i mean i guess i guess that theory holds up i i've I've kind of checked out because this whole thing is just this whole ending just made me very angry do tell how did this make you angry well it just completely butchered the original it it had no meaning and it just and then they don't even show the torture which is part of the whole thing they just fade into black and then put him in the wicker man and that's it that's true and i mean in fairness he does go unconscious because they just pour a bunch of bees on his face (laughs) which i thought was kind of funny uh and that's only the unrated version i i didn't even realize i was watching the unrated version there's nothing to indicate that it was unrated at all oh well yeah that's what you watch then because the theatrical cut did not feature any of that why not it's rated pg-13 right what what's above pg-13 about bees well no it's i don't even think it's just the bees it's like the um like they what is it the expletives i guess i guess he says bitch a lot and then I think it's the leg breaking, probably, or maybe just the torture of it. Dude, Braveheart is PG-13, isn't it? No, no, that movie's R. They draw on quarter, that poor man. 
And there's also boobies in that movie. Where have we gone? We have regressed. We have regressed. But anyway, so they fucking the bees. Whatever. It's a meme. Ah, you know it. You love it. Ugh. Ah, <laughs> are, are you ah, are you Nicolas Cage doing a Fozzie Bear impression, or are you Fozzie Bear doing a Nicolas Cage impression? That much is up to the viewer's interpretation, because I am willing to go there where this movie was not really. At least that would have been interesting. God, but killing me won't bring back your goddamn money. <laughs> oh, and this movie did not get its money back. No, it did not. I think it finished uh, just under at, I think, $38 million, a little over, maybe, of the $40 million budget in the box office. So about $38 million in the box office and about $40 million budget. And they probably, someone bought this DVD. So I'm sure, I'm sure they at least made most of their money back, maybe made a tiny profit on it, but... You know. I mean, if people bought National Treasure 2 Electric Boogaloo, then people for sure bought The Wicker Man. You know what? You're right. There's some diehard Nick Cage's fans out there, Dude, wherever you are. I'm becoming one. I legitimately think that Nick Cage is, he's like a, he's like a true liquid actor. He fills the container that he's put inside of. He can totally do a one-man show of The Shining, and I fully believe it. If by filling the glass, you mean chemical reaction that explodes the glass, sure. Bro, just to have Michael Bay direct it. You're what's wrong with America. I don't think I've actually seen a Michael Bay movie in its entirety. You're fine. If you've seen half of one, you've seen them all. I see. I see. So the movie ends. He gets sacrificed. That's the end of it. No, nothing else. Just like the original. But I don't feel like they played into it enough. The ending scene does leave me a little frustrated. Because, again, the plot holes. There's, like... The whole Rowan is nine, and they just had the crops fail a year ago, and then there's the whole gun thing. Like, I don't mean to be this guy, but that gun, it's a Beretta 92. It's a steel handgun. It's not like a Glock where it's made halfway with plastic, right? It's mm-hmm. a heavy-ass gun, and it holds 16 bullets. You would notice if it was completely unloaded. Look, he's I thought been that carrying too- the same gun for years. He's been a cop for years and this is a very standard gun like this is a very common weapon to see like the military uses this police agencies use this all kinds of people have this gun he would for sure know if it was completely unloaded there is no way that he would have taken that long to figure out that he had no bullets in that gun um i'll i'll have to accept your theory i'm a huge nerd just take just take my word for it i'm I'm taking it i'm taking it i trust you so Uh, i just Uh, You know what? People have said it about other movies, and I'm going to say it about this movie. This could have been solved so fast with a little technology. Think about the movies that would not have been a thing if cell phones existed. Well, and that's why, I mean, I did note that they did that at the beginning. Like, his cell phone doesn't work. It again doesn't work at the end. The gun does? Yeah, it's, it's a perfectly functional gun. It just doesn't have any bullets in it, and that's bullshit. Well, they took the bullets. Yeah, but he would have noticed that. I I guess. Think about it. I think you... If you picked up your cat and it was half as heavy as it was the day before, don't you think you would have noticed it? I mean, I I understand what you're saying. I'm not arguing with you. Imagine you were wearing the cat on your hip in a holster all day, every day, and then it was suddenly half as heavy as it was before? I don't think so. I think that's because it's dead, but... If the cat was dead in the holster, would you notice that? I I would notice that. You see my point? I see your point. Just walking around this island with all these people around you scissoring, and you just got a dead cat in your holster. Not this one. No one one scissored in this one. Bro, you know this is Scissor Isle. Scissor's Isle. They wanted to call it Scissor's Isle, but they wanted the PG-13. Yeah, exactly. And that's like the the remake, like the porno remake is like, uh, 
Dick Cage stars in Scissors Isle. Scissors Isle. And that will about do it for the fucking Wicker Man. Just god damn it. Why was this made? <laughs> you know, man, I'm glad someone took it on. I think it was a little overdue. I mean, we had, what, uh, 33 years from the original to this one. I think that's a good window for a remake, don't you think? It's a good window for a remake, but honestly, like... <sighs> Okay, so is this a remake? Because in the beginning, in the police station, the actor from the first movie, from the original, has a missing poster in the police station that Nick Cage is at. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I noticed it, like, right off the bat, and I was like, so does this take place in the same universe? Also, they're in California. That took place in Scotland. Why would that be here 33 years later? Bro, California dreaming. they just dreamed he went to California after well, going to a mysterious island? Of course. I, I I don't know. He went to California. He went missing like you do. He probably joined a cult. He's charging his crystals. You know, he's sal- salutation to the sun like you do out here. Um, Collecting witch dust. Witch grinding dust. up the green bones. I, I don't know, man. I don't know anything about that. All I know is that this is kind of a remake and kind of a reimagining. And I don't think it really succeeds at being either one. It succeeds. I don't even know if it succeeds at being a movie like i was so bored during this whole thing like even the cringy shit was not enough to keep me around i i think it would be hard to say that it's not a movie well okay an entertaining movie let's go there oh okay fair enough you got me there (sighs) so what kind of concoction did you make to get through this john you know what man um we went back to basics which is really what they should have done with this movie uh and we made ourselves a mudslide i i called this one the um Oh god, what the fuck did I call this thing? Uh the epic meltdown mudslide. That that's what I called it. The epic meltdown mudslide. In honor Beautiful. of Nick Cage's epic meltdown. How do you make it, John? You are just so eager to hear this. I, I think you're just worried that it's gonna make you have to pee more if you drink one. And uh you have sworn off peeing for two years. I well, not that I've sworn it off. It's it won't happen. That's water retention's a bitch. Water retention is a bitch. I will gorge to the size of <laughs> of Mount Vesuvius, and then, only then, after two years have passed, shall I piss, and piss on all of those who have forsaken me. (laughs) So Anyway, tell me about your goddamn mudslide. (laughs) Okay, so this one involves a blender, so if you don't have any kind of blending device, I would recommend getting one or avoiding this cocktail, or just be prepared to do a lot of work with a spoon. I don't know, I haven't really tried it. So basically, you take like um, a half pint of Ben & Jerry's New York Fudge ice cream, and you're going to put that in the, uh, you don't really make it in the glass, you would make it in a blender, or if you're going to make it in your cocktail shaker, whatever, I don't care. And then you're going to add one ounce of Kahlua, one ounce of Bailey's, and a half ounce of whipped cream vodka, and you're going to blend it all up together real nice. You kind of want the chunks in there, because again, it is an epic meltdown mudslide, so you gotta have some some nice fun bits in there. Some of that fudge, some of that uh, nuts. I don't know. I thought about putting like a shitload of walnuts in this cocktail, but decided against it because I didn't think vodka and walnuts would go very well together. But uh, you mix all of it together and you pour it out into a glass. I use a tall cocktail glass. like a, It's recommended to use like a hurricane glass, but most people don't have that type of thing. So whatever fits, it, you're not drinking this for it to look pretty. It looks like a mudslide. So then you get yourself some whipped cream. You just put yourself some whipped cream on the top. Nice pressurized can. It's good for uh, enjoying whipped cream straight out the can. I guess that's the only reason you buy that. <laughs> you just put it right on the top. Add yourself a maraschino cherry. If you want to get creative with it, uh, put some, I don't know, um, dark chocolate shavings. I 
don't I don't really care. Mm. They didn't really care about this movie either. So you know what? The epic meltdown mudslide. There it is. And uh, I hope you enjoy it because I enjoyed it more than this movie. Fair enough. Okay. So that'll about do it for this week. John, I think you had a question for me. Yeah, I absolutely did. So I watched this movie in widescreen, and I've been meaning to ask this question for a really, really long time. What's up with widescreen? Okay, so do you not like widescreen? I don't dislike widescreen. I just notice it sometimes and think, what? why is it? Why is it here? Okay, so widescreen has to do with the aspect ratio of the film that you're watching. All right, so now it's like Science Theater 3000. Yes. Okay, so you're probably used to full screen, correct? More so, yes. YouTube doesn't come in widescreen. Okay, so full screen is like mostly filmed with um, television and YouTube, like with uh, vlogger cameras. So that would be like, um, like on YouTube, it would be a one-to-one ratio. And then from early television on, it was a 4-3 ratio, which is the square box. Mm. Now, when you get into movies, they shoot it with a wider angle and a wider scope. So therefore, the screen has to be wider. And the reason that you see the black bars is that no one's going to just cut a screen custom to every movie every time. Interesting. That's why you'll also see, like, older movies were shot, you know, in not as wide an angle as they are now. So you'll actually see bars on all four sides. And I highly suggest watching a movie in the aspect ratio it is intended to be watched. How would I go about doing that for future reference? Usually any Blu-ray copy that you buy of a movie will automatically go to the aspect ratio that is intended. Interesting. Because if you just change it to full screen, you're cutting off part of the picture and it's being cropped and you're not seeing everything that you're supposed to be seeing. Like, um, it would be like watching The Wizard of Oz, but just the middle of the screen all the time. Okay, so you're watching it through like a peeping Tom hole. Yes, almost as if you're watching someone film it on their phone. It's all like a world star Wizard of Oz? World star Wizard of Oz. Okay, okay, it's starting to make sense now. Yeah, so it's it's a choice. Like, most movies are filmed in a wider scope. And watch it in the wider scope unless otherwise denoted, I guess. Like, just don't don't change it to full screen unless you just have to. Like, like it's just gonna bother you for it to not take up the full screen. Okay, okay. So, how was the best way to view this movie? Um, don't. Don't. <laughs> okay, well, don't be afraid to show us how you feel, Zach. Um, I mean, I think if you were watching it in widescreen, that was the way it was intended to be watched. And I don't doubt that it was. But this was also during a time where, like, you could buy a full screen or a widescreen version of any movie for whatever reason. Because I guess people just like full screen better. I've never been one of those people. I don't I don't care either way. I just, whatever the director intended, that's what I want to watch. I see. So you think that maybe the artistic value in that sense is mostly on the like feeling of the director so you think that it's more like indicative of the, what the director wants than what anybody else in the crew wants yes because they're the ones that pick the camera that's a good point i never really thought about it that way so uh, that's a kind of in a tangent uh to this and i don't mean to go over or anything but like is it i know directors have trademarks like there are certain things that are very i don't know coppola coppola or, or tarantino-esque or uh, yeah so, so what are some calling cards that you like from certain directors i don't mean to put you on the spot or anything but like could you explain that a little further for me like okay so some directors have like motifs and like things that 
they do throughout all of their movies like um tarantino like tarantino uses um long stretches of dialogue followed by action sequence or some sort of you know thing that happens and like his dialogue you can tell when he's written dialogue or when he's directed that dialogue it's very fast and it kind of doesn't mean anything hmm. like they're just like whatever the characters are they're just shooting the shit interesting and, um i guess another one would roger corman um David Hasselhoff. David Hasselhoff has, um, to my knowledge, not directed a movie. Yeah, Scorsese likes to use uh, tracking shots in a lot of his movies. So um, there's a scene in Goodfellas where um, it's literally a five-minute, one-take track shot throughout an entire bar. Huh. Yeah, from the back and the kitchen to all the way up front where the performers are going and then to where our main character. So how hard is that for actors to do? To do one take? I mean, it's just like um, in a play. Like when you're rehearsing a play, if someone messes up, you got to start over. So do you think that maybe that dynamic makes it a case for film actors having it a little easier than stage actors? Well, no, because um, it has to be perfect for the film in a theater setting it can be what it is like it's live so if something goes wrong it goes wrong but in a movie you can fix that so yeah but that's what i mean though it's like if it can be fixed does that mean that there is slightly less skill required because you get more than one chance no because um especially in the days of film stock as opposed to digital um using less film stock was better because film stock even back then was expensive that's a good point so Actors that could get it all in one take where those are the guys that are going to get the money. Interesting. So like Nick Cage. Um, no, not like, not Nick, like Cage. Nick Cage. Uh, okay. Not, not like that. Um, what about, um, Nicholas Cage as Jack Nicholson as, uh, Shelley Duvall? Um, I think that that's just your fever dream and that you're the director and I'll let you decide what you want to do. I think the only person that should play in that movie is Gary Busey and he should be their son. So Gary Busey as the child in Nicolas Cage as every other character. Yeah, exactly that. Fair enough. All right. Well, I've had enough suicide inducing thoughts for the day. Um, <laughs> do you have anything else to add? Not at all. Um, if you guys want to go watch a movie, this is a fun one to watch. It's a little extra, but I mean, if you see the original first, it's kind of cool. I, I think there was a lot of people who were disappointed by this rendition of the movie, especially people who are maybe big fans of the first one, knowing that, that one is kind of regarded as a good movie, or at least a good example of like UK cinema. Mm -hmm. And this one is not. It. This is... Exactly why you shouldn't do remakes and why Americans shouldn't be allowed to do remakes of European cinema. Oh, man. But what about um, Austin Powers Goldmember starring Nicolas Cage? Three years. And I'm going to sit on your house until I have to pee three years from now. All right. Well, the human body produces a lot of pee per year. So I wish I could do the math right now and figure out exactly how much pee that would be. But I don't have time for that, and I don't know exactly how much pee the body produces in a year, because if I did, that'd be a little weird. Off the top of your head, yes. But anyway, for for your information, I'm Zach. And I'm John. Have, see you guys. Repeat!